In this report, I'm going to talk to you about the failure of integrity in service departments, how they try to brush you out of making a legitimate consumer law or warranty claim simply because it's convenient and there's more money in it for them. I'm John Cadogan from AutoExpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap. Australia only website card. Now, in just a sec, we're going to talk about a dude who fitted a bull bar and a set of driving lights for the big lap of Australia, and then Toyota knocked back a warranty claim because he fitted non-genuine accessories. And reading in between the lines, a Toyota dealer did this. So what gives? And what is the limit and where are your rights really? That's all in this report and I have to say at about half time we're going to switch completely and do one of the most uplifting community service announcements of all time, not just on this channel but of all time in relation to one of the most outstanding set of bolt-on accessories which I have ever seen. This report is sponsored by NordVPN. Now I'm not a hardcore IT guy, but I've heard enough, especially recently, about data breaches, scams and hacks to know that being online can be inherently risky and costly. You don't have to be tech savvy to use NordVPN. It's a simple one-stop cybersecurity solution. One click and you are protected from hackers, malware and pop-ups across as many as six devices. NordVPN is the world's fastest VPN. I don't even notice it running in the background, frankly, and it only costs about as much as a cup of coffee to keep your data, your identity, and your devices secure every month. NordVPN can also save you money because you can assign your virtual location to another country where, for example, flights and accommodation might be cheaper than they are back at home. The same goes for streaming services, and you can access live sporting events and other content that may not be available where you actually live. It's a pretty small price to pay for cybersecurity, not to mention the potential savings also on the table. Go to nordvpn.com AEJC to get a huge discount off your plan plus four months free. Totally risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com AEJC. Link in the description. And thanks to Nord for sponsoring this episode. This report is inspired by you, if your name is Tim Hall. Timo Hall Effect. That's a physics joke. Tim says, <clears throat> Well, John, have watched and listened to you for years and take you advice. Well, thank you, Tim. Two observations on that. Number one, I'm really sorry, dude. Nobody deserves that. I'm sorry to hear that your life has come to that. And duos, I do hope this is speech to text, Timbo. Otherwise, it's not looking good, is it? However, 2021 LC200, and we decided to travel Australia last year for 16 moth with the kids. What was second prize, dude? 
had a headlight malfunction warning came on the dash on our last leg of travelling home. The realised the LC200, which is a VX model, has LED self-levelling headlights. Mm. We only did the basics for while we did a lap, which was a fuel filter and an ARB bull bar with driving lights. As you can see from below the email for the dealer regarding this. We'll get to that email. The weird thing is that only the low beam headlight isn't working. We not put the high beams on, they work in conjunction with the factory headlight. And now Toyota... Pause there while I shoot for the bin. Are declining this as I wasn't aware off. You can't even install driving lights. Maybe listeners might be also added in my issue I have now. Yes, Timbo. Maybe they might also be added in my issue I have now. I really don't know, Timbo. Uh, perhaps we should leave that up to them. That's a good chap. Anyway, I suppose Toyota don't want you to buy a four-wheel drive and actually use it for what it was intended to be used for. Maybe only for a soccer mum's car. Or perhaps they just want to pocket the outrageous three and a half thousand dollar fee to fix the fucking problem. Maybe, maybe there's that. We'll get into that too. Also, travelling Australia with a Toyota Australia wide was an horrible experience overall for dealers trying to rip you off or not actually doing what you ask for. Cheers, Tim. Well, thank you, Timber. I'm sorry you are in this position aisle. And I want to drill down into the philosophy of that because it's actually quite serious. The dealer has... Uh, I've got some excerpts from communications between Tim and the dealer which was supplied by me, uh, by, by, to me by Tim. And the dealer has said, quote, As discussed on the phone, unfortunately, Toyota has knocked back the warranty repair on your headlight due to the aftermarket spotlights on the front of your vehicle. To have this repaired at a retail cost, the prices are as follows. The headlight assembly... $2,762.91. $62.91. Couldn't they just round it off and make it $2,750? Or do you think that might just erode the profit margin too much? $2,762.91. How much of that do you reckon is profit? I reckon $2,262.91. Shared between Toyota Australia and the dealer. Labour at $132 per hour, 528 bucks, four hours to fit a couple of headlights and snip a couple of wires on a couple of spotties, really. Total, $3,290.91. They see you coming, don't they? I suppose the VX is quite an expensive car, so they feel entitled to bend you over and uh, give you a particularly aggressive uh, barbed wire enema when you're in there with this predicament to be solved. Um, the Toyota and the dealer, some further communications from them. After reviewing the photos and information provided, Warranty Help Desk does not believe this concern was caused by a manufacturing defect. To which I would retort, nobody gives a fuck what anyone believes in domains such as this, because this is not a belief issue. This is a facts issue. So perhaps we should reframe the communications just ever so slightly believe. 
really. We have found no evidence to substantiate a manufacturing defect. They go on, the photos supplied show fitment of non-genuine spotlights. Not finding evidence to substantiate a manufacturing defect is not the same thing as evidence that non-genuine spotlights have caused the defect. And it's not evidence that there is not a manufacturing defect. Kind of depends how hard you went and looked for the evidence, doesn't it? You know, it depends what you actually found, not what you didn't fucking well find right? Like, if you're going to bend someone over, you could at least try and be sophisticated about how you do it, not just open the door to these obvious repudiations of what, in my mind, is clearly a bullshit position to take. What do I really think? I mean, the guy spent, the guy spent, I don't know, 120k on a VX and fitted an ARB bull bar and a couple of spotties, and now you're knocking him back. Like, if that's enough to knock those low beams out, then maybe you should have gone back to the drawing board. For spotlights to function, they say, in most cases they are required to be connected to the vehicle OEM wiring. You think, because the battery is part of the wiring, like, you've got to connect it, there's a switch there, like... This can be attributed to the current condition the vehicle is facing. How do you draw that conclusion? There has been, as far as I can see, no investigation whatsoever into the causality of the failure of the customer's low beams. And we're just off the bat attributing the spotlights, the aftermarket spotlights, to causing this defect, right? That's what we're doing here. And this smacks to me, it reeks of some 20-year-old hyper-woke person in the warranty help desk call centre who's been trained to look for reasons to deny warranty claims. What else can it be? If you think I'm being harsh to the god of Toyota, some of you beard strokers, are, Toyota is virtually a religion, I know, but this kind of response to me, can only be one thing. And it's evidence of training that happens, training to deny warranty claims on the basis of pretext that don't stack up to logical assessment. And frankly, I find that disgusting. They conclude and say, considering the above, Toyota has rejected the warranty claim because no manufacturing defect was identified and because non-genuine accessories have been fitted. Well, how fucking convenient, I'd suggest. And also, the framing of that message is really interesting too because they're talking about warranty claims. And, oh yeah, that's more like it. The, the thing about warranty is that Toyota has more control over warranty because it's a Toyota warranty. The horse that is actually bolting and completely off the chain is consumer law because despite the warranty that Toyota has written a thousand paragraphs and had them triple checked by their lawyers about, consumer law is not like that. And Toyota can't say, nah, we're just not going to honour consumer law because of warranty. What they're doing here is they're pretending consumer law doesn't exist. So I'd be really interested to know where the burden of proof is with this when it comes to manufacturing defects because vehicles are supposed to be reasonably durable. 
that's just how it is. Okay, And if they're not reasonably durable and the manufacturer wants to claim that that lack of durability can be attributable to you modifying the vehicle, then where is the burden of proof? Is the burden of proof on the owner of the vehicle or is it on the manufacturer to prove that they've got a get-out-of-jail-free card? I'd be really interested for the ACCC to do one of its rare returns to consciousness just to wake the fuck up and rule on that kind of thing and make manufacturers accountable for the burden of proof if they're trying to sidestep warranty and consumer law claims by claiming that an aftermarket modification, like a simple one like this, can be responsible for this kind of defect. And it can be. There's just no evidence in the communication from Toyota to the customer, which I have seen, that they have had a look at the vehicle and identified that these aftermarket spotlights are the cause of the now lack of functionality of the low beam. And this wasn't straight after fitting the spotlights. This is in situ, in service, after some time, 16 moth of taking the family around Australia. What was second prize? This is another e email excerpt from the dealer, right? In terms of this being covered by warranty, if it was fitted by at a Toyota, I presume they mean at a Toyota dealer, so I'm assuming that the customer has had this stuff fitted at a Toyota dealership and then purchased the car with the bar and the lights on it. They go on and say, no, it would not be covered by Toyota warranty as it is not a Toyota product that has caused the issue. Where is the investigation into the cause? We seem to have stepped over that part and just omitted it and just said, oh, it's got aftermarket lights, therefore that's the cause of the problem. It is not necessarily due, they say, to the spotlights not being fitted or installed correctly slash incorrectly. It is that they are non-genuine parts that have not been tested by Toyota and approved as part of the new car warranty for this vehicle. Toyota only approved genuine accessories to be fitted as part of the warranty because of these issues that can arise from non-genuine parts and accessories. The conclusion I take away from this is that they're acting like bastards. They have not done the requisite investigation to prove the link between a non-genuine set of spotlights and the recent malfunction of the low beam in this car. They've not proved that at all. Not that I've seen in any communication between the customer and the dealer and or Toyota. And they're jumping to this conclusion that no warranty, like forget about it. What they're essentially saying in all of that messaging is that if you buy a Toyota and you do anything to it that is not a genuine accessory, you fit any non-genuine accessory, then you will void the warranty and they will not look after you. That's what that communication says, right? They don't seemingly feel as if they need to prove any link, any causal link between the malfunction and what you've done to the car. So you could hypothetically fit a non-genuine tub liner to your Hilux, and the engine could shit itself and they could go, you fitted a non-genuine accessory, that's on you. And I find this morally reprehensible because the one thing that most, the overwhelming majority of car company executives can't do, right? They can't put themselves in your position. They can drive their vehicles, they can be familiar with the vehicles, they can take them off-road, they can do all that stuff. But they don't understand what it's like for you to get 
50, 100 grand, whatever it is, for your 4x4, your vehicle, whatever it is. They don't understand what it's like to actually reach into your own back pocket and have sufficient faith in the brand to lock yourself in like that, okay? Because if they go to Fraser Island and bury a land cruiser below the high tide mark or they're in Derby or something and the, the water, the tide comes over the bonnet, like, oops a daisy, probably have to fill in a form on that one, but there's a hundred more in the car park and she'll be right. If that happens to you, that's an unmitigated fucking disaster. This is why there's a massive disconnect. And the other thing I'd suggest is that there is an imbalance of power between you and the dealer and Toyota acting as a conglomerate, right? So there's this fundamental David and Goliath imbalance of power, although in this case David's unlikely to win. And that's why the ACCC needs to spend more time fucking conscious and really making the more powerful part of this dynamic go, you know what? Maybe it's not going to be worth it to just throw people under the bus because we can get away with it. You know, because clearly left to their own devices, uh, the goodwill of integrity, if you like, is failing. Therefore, we need a regulator to be conscious and just go, no, dickhead, that's not how this works, right? And the final thing is there's also a conflict of interest. There's a conflict of interest between integrity and profit at the dealership. Because if the dealer can make you think that this is not a warranty claim, it's on you. Two things happen, and they're both in favour of the dealer. The first thing that happens is the dealer gets to charge you the full undiscounted labour rate for that job. If it's a warranty job, they bill Toyota for the labour at a greatly reduced rate, so much less money in it for them. And the final thing that happens, of course, money-wise, is that if it's a warranty job, Toyota supply the parts, the dealer fits them, but they don't make any margin on the parts. They don't get the parts for a thousand bucks and charge you two thousand for them or something. They get the parts and they just fit them and there's no drink in it for them, right? So this is really why we need a fully functional, conscious and strenuous advocate in the ACCC. And as far as I can tell, dude, we just don't have that. So you get to play David, only David never got up and said, let's go for two out of three, did he? Now, before I let you go, in other non-genuine bolt-on accessory news, an international model who rose to fame online after getting M-cup breast implants has revealed how Australians react to her physique on holidays. Jasmine Day, 29, have you noticed that in every news report orbiting a woman, the age of the woman has to be mentioned in the first two paragraphs? This is like an unwritten law of journalism. You don't do that with a man, ever. It's only women who get this treatment, right? If I was a feminist, I'd be outraged. Anyway, Jasmine Day, 29, from Wales, says she is harassed and stared at all over the world. Imagine that. Like, dude, who could have foreseen that in the circumstances? But she feels like she can relax in Melbourne, where people, quote, treat her like a person, 
Go figure. The model said she was relieved when she arrived in Melbourne and found people meeting her eyes. Instead of staring at her enormous 4.5 kilogram breasts. Is that 4.5 kilos each or individually, I wonder? That is a hefty thing to be carrying up the stairs every day. Just so probably take the lift. But... This is a fascinating. I find this story fascinating in the context of bolt-on accessories. And, dude, you should too. In other news, of course, Specsaver franchises in Melbourne have been revealed as the most profitable Specsavers franchises in the world. Coincidence? The Guardian goes on and says she also noted that in LA and across Europe, people often bully her over her appearance. Go figure. Or let her know what they think of her body. But in Australia, they didn't. This is obviously because we are renowned globally for our overall cultural reservation and generalised dignity towards our fellow man, and obviously woman, and of course renowned for our fixed distance myopia. She said, they maintained eye contact, they didn't stare or point, it was really refreshing. I love Australians, she told news.com.au. And speaking for essentially every Australian that I know, we love you too, Jasmine. A lot. A great deal. In fact, the story goes on. This is hard-hitting stuff, isn't it? I'm not sure I'd be cut out for a report such as this. In fact, she was shocked by how little reaction there was to her sculpted figure. That's one way to describe it. In the US, she says the only time people don't openly react to her bust by pointing, laughing. Who would laugh? Look me in the eye. Are you laughing now? or making loud comments is when they're trying to snap a sneaky photo. I can see that. She said, I feel like they forget I'm still a human being. It must be terrible. The 29-year-old revealed she started her journey, these journeys, she started her journey to achieve her dream body in 2017 when she lost 32 kilograms and built up her strength. Well, Given the uh, lifting ordeal to follow, overall, I'd suggest that was a good plan, like if I was a personal trainer, approved. She then went under the knife, getting implants in 2018 and 2020, to increase her breasts from a natural D cup to the 32 litre M cup breasts she has today. That's amazing. That's like going to ARB and saying, just get started. I'll tell you when to stop. I'm wondering, based on that timeline, does that mean she like did one and then waited two years, walked around lopsided for 24 months while she was amassing the readies to get the other one done? Is that how she did it? We'll never know. Jasmine says the glares, unsolicited advice, and the catcalls are annoying, but she doesn't regret going after her dream body, and she wants to inspire other women to do it too. You go, girl. I'm all for it. Hear, hear, I say. Those in favour, say aye. And those against, speak now, dude, or forever hold your uh, peace. Jasmine has 298,000 followers on Instagram. Jesus, that's almost as many followers as I've got subscribers as I've got on YouTube. And note the imbalance in sex appeal. 
where she shares diet and training secrets as well as insights into her life. Those insights would be fascinating, would they not? I'd find them totally engaging. I would give her an honorary PhD in structural engineering off the bat here and now. It really is impressive. Just for gravity defiance overall, like, dude. The big question, of course. I wonder how she goes with those warranty claims. Like, for example, if she busts into Toyota with a sore back claiming some kind of you know, manufacturing defect, are they going to rush out and treat her like a person? Or are they just going to bounce her? Only time will tell. <laughs>